Our scripture this morning comes from the Acts of the Apostles. We will be in chapter 1. We'll begin in verse 1 and go through verse 11. Um, There is a pew Bible in front of you if you didn't bring one with you, and you can turn to page 1080, 1080 in the pew Bible. Again, that's Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through verse 11. you would please join me in prayer. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, again, you're going to hold your Bibles open in your laps for a minute. We're getting used to that by now, aren't we? Uh, Also, uh, I was encouraged after the eight o'clock service to give a disclaimer today. That if you are not in any kind of mood to have your toes, your toes properly stepped on um, by the word of God today, uh, now is your chance to leave. Uh, this, this sermon is uncomfortable to hear. It's uncomfortable to preach um, because we get pretty matter of fact and heart of the matter of this. And so I want to give that out there. Um, because for the last two weeks, we've been diving into our mission, right? Our mission to celebrate the gospel, loving everyone by growing in Christ and going into the world. And there's a chance that by the time we get through today, everyone's going to gravitate to one of the three areas of our mission and part of our purpose here. You're going to gravitate to one more than the others. Some of you are going to be like, I'm all about loving everyone. Others of you are going to dive right in. I'm going to do everything I can to grow in Christ. And then there's going to be the ones who are like, I am going to the world and I can't be stopped. The difference is the first two you can kind of hold on to Alone, the third one going into the world requires being fully invested in loving everyone and growing in Christ. Otherwise, if you go into the world and you don't want to love everyone and have no desire to, and you don't want to grow in Christ and feel like you've accomplished all you can do there, it will be in vain when you go into the world. It will be meaningless, it won't be for God's glory. It will only be for your own. So today, that's what we're going to dive into, going into the world. So let us hear from our scripture in the Acts of the Apostles. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, he went, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. And so we're here in Acts of the Apostles. I love Acts of the Apostles. It's one of my absolute favorite books of the Bible. I believe it has a distinct importance that some of the other scriptures within New Testament do not hold on to. And one of the reasons Acts is vitally important is because it gives us historical documentation of the early church from the very moment the church is founded here in Acts chapter 2. We get the early church history, so we get a peek at it. And we don't have to rely just on Paul's letters to churches that are scattered throughout the world. We do enough trying to intimate and figure out how the church operated from his letters But here we get a clear picture of the early church, and it's great because having this historical document, being able to go back and look at the early church gives us, in 2023, the ability to look at our church today and where we are and how we do church and compare it to how it all began. And we can say some good things have changed, like we have electricity and air conditioning, right? Those are good things. And we're in Florida, not in a desert. And then there's some other things that have changed, and we say, well, maybe that isn't for the best, and we want to restore back to the early church in its original design and purpose. And so because we have Acts, we're always able to live within that tension here within the church. And the other reason Acts, I believe, is so important for our faith is because in each of our lives, we search for purpose and meaning. Not one of us wants to walk around and live our life without any purpose and without any meaning, and at the end of the day say, well, that was that. We want to have a purpose. We want to have meaning to our life, and we search for it all over the place. We begin searching when we're kids, and and often as parents, we kind of form this identity around them, and and to our own fault, we do. I've done it to my own kids and said, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? I remember with Avonlea, she's 18 months old. She can say like every word in the vocabulary by that point, but I convince her at 18 months old that she wants to grow up to be a heart surgeon. And it was really cute for most of the time. And now she no longer wants to be a heart surgeon. But I began trying to influence very early. And so as you can see, even when we're kids, we want to grow up to be something. We want to have a purpose and a meaning to our growing up and to our living. And then something crazy happens. One day we become adults. And we have to decide what we're going to eat for every meal of the day the rest of our lives. And we say, is that all there is? I got to this job. I got to this place. I got married. I had a family. Is that the purpose of my life? Is that all there is? I made all of this money. I did all of these things. Is that all that there could be? We're constantly searching for purpose 
and meaning. It's why Oprah still has a TV show. It's allowed Ellen DeGeneres to have a TV show. It allows Dr. Phil to speak into people's lives on TV. It's a giant section of bookstores that no longer exist that are on Amazon now. And it's indicative because one day over 30 years ago, a pastor writes a book, Purpose Driven Life, becomes a national bestseller because we're all looking for a life that's purpose driven and that can be fulfilling for us to live. Because the truth is, we become adults and we don't want to say, well, that was it. I guess that's all I've got today. We want to know that our life counts, that our life matters. And here in the Acts of the Apostles, we get before Jesus ascends into heaven, his final instructions. Quite literally, he, he instructs his apostles and then he is up and away in a cloud to heaven. And while they just saw Jesus ascend to heaven, they are then chastised by angels standing next to them saying, why are you looking up there? He'll return the same way he came. So how do we make this life count? I believe Jesus calls us in the clearest of terms to a life's purpose and mission that will be the most fulfilling all of our days. And it's for all who follow him, he simply says to go and witness, to be his witness. He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is a clear mandate from our Lord and Savior Jesus to go and to witness for him. That is our purpose as we live this life for Christ. If we are living in faithful obedience, we are going and we are witnessing as part of that life. See, there's an amazing thing that happens because Luke is writing this to Theophilus. He's pretty clear and to the point, but so is Jesus. Jesus gives this command that we are to go be witnesses to all the world. And as soon as he says it and they're pondering what's going on, Jesus hops on a cloud, goes to heaven. What's not included in this instruction are the exceptions to this rule. There is no excuses and no exceptions given to the command to go and be his witnesses. No one who believes in Christ is excused from this purpose and mission in life. It's in these words that Jesus tells us how to make our life in Christ count while we are still here. So we ask ourselves the question, in our lives and in our words, are we witnessing for Jesus? Or are we keeping him all to ourselves? 
See, at one time, Jesus tells this parable of these men who were given talents. They were given money, essentially. And one goes, and he's given ten talents, and he invested, and, and it becomes a hundredfold. One who has five, he goes and invested in a different way, and he becomes thirtyfold. And then uh, the, the one with the least amount of talents goes and buries it because he's afraid that it might turn into nothing. And the one who does nothing with it is the one who's chastised in that parable. Have we become the one who's buried the gift of Jesus in our life and not shared it with others? And I'm not talking about inviting someone to church or to Wednesday night because we learned something over COVID. We learned something that was absolutely earth-shattering and groundbreaking, that the way maybe we used to talk about Jesus to invite them to church, well, well why don't you just come to church and hear my pastor? We couldn't do that anymore. So we must now be prepared to give an account and witness fully to the gospel for Jesus Christ. Because there will be another day when we won't be able to gather in person. And maybe there's a hologram preacher that you can cast in your living rooms by that time. but the days of inviting someone to church so that they can learn about the gospel at church are gone. And in fact, truthfully, it never existed, and it was a poor substitute for believing we were witnessing and sharing the gospel with others. And, and the very gospel that we want to share, we think it might be too complicated for us. Like, well, if I just tell someone Jesus died on the cross and then he was resurrected three days later because he loves me, someone's going to end up with a lot of questions. Or if we go to the, to the furthest logical extreme of the easiest way to do it is just to simply say God loves you, we're missing out on a ton of things in there in between. Well, why does it matter that God loves me? What's the point of any of this? That's why the Bible begins in Genesis, and it doesn't begin on the cross. That's why the Bible points out our sin and our sinfulness and our need for a Savior, because the gospel doesn't make sense without it. And we get to see the Israelites toil for thousands of years trying to be perfect to earn salvation and constantly needing to make sacrifices to appease God so that they can remain in right relationship with God. Only to prove after thousands of years of proof that we as humans cannot do it ourselves, but it requires God himself to save us. And here's how he did it. You've heard me say it a hundred times. It's because I believe Paul says it the best, that God proves his love in this way, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, it matters the while we were yet sinners. That part matters, and we're quick to skip over it because it's uncomfortable, because 
then someone has to ask, well, I'm a good person. What do you mean I'm a sinner? And that makes for a difficult conversation that maybe we don't want to have. But when Jesus gives this command in the clearest words he has, hops on the cloud and goes and doesn't leave any exceptions to the rule and doesn't give us any excuses, he gives us zero room for any credible excuse we may come up with. And believe me, I've heard them all. We've, we've tried them all. Pastor, I'm not an extrovert. I can't just walk up to someone I barely know or just met and tell them about Jesus. That's not how I'm wired. It's not how I'm designed. Great, because Jesus didn't say going to the world and witnessing for him was only for the extroverted. Your personality on how you interact with others was taken into full account when Jesus gave this command because he didn't give anyone an excuse. So if you're introverted, that's great. Use your personality in the way you are. Clearly, if you're introverted, you're probably not going to go into the supermarket, stand on a bucket, and begin telling people about Jesus. That's probably not your method. But I promise you, you've been given the gift of being able to develop very close relationships. So there's a path forward for you there. See, when we use an excuse like maybe I'm too introverted to share the gospel, we have found ourselves a crutch that allows us to remain in a comfort zone so we don't have to do something difficult for Jesus' sake. Or it's because through the years we've believed that Satan whispering in our ears well, you're not an extrovert. You don't have to go share the gospel. Clearly, that's not for you, and we've believed that lie. What's made clear in the book of Acts is that the Holy Spirit comes upon every believer, and it is the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to overcome our own desire to remain comfortable and overcome the lies of Satan in our lives. For if we remember, it is the apostles. They're gathered and huddled in a room because Jesus was just murdered on the cross. And they're in Jerusalem with the mobs all around them that were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And they're huddled up, locked in this house because they're worried they might be next. And they're wondering, is this really worth dying for? The guy who said he would never leave is now dead. And then three days, three days, the whole world changed. Because Jesus was resurrected and the tomb was empty. And then Jesus begins appearing to the disciples and they begin seeing him. They saw running to him on the road to Emmaus and, and, they, and Thomas touched his very scars. He proves to him who he is, and he spends 40 days with him. Luke tells us here in Acts, 40 days of more instruction and teaching. And then he goes. He says, wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. 
So they do. Jesus is there 40 days. It's 10 days later on the day of Pentecost. Another festival there in Jerusalem. So the same crowd that was there shouting, crucify him, crucify him, is gathered once again in Jerusalem for this festival. And the Holy Spirit comes and the apostles are no longer afraid, but rather Peter, who denied Jesus three times the night he was arrested, rushes to the street and begins testifying and preaching on Jesus' behalf. The power of the Holy Spirit can overcome our deepest desires to remain comfortable and safe so that we can go and do and fulfill the purpose Christ has given us. But pastor, I don't exactly know what to say. What if there's questions or, or I begin to be challenged on the claims that I make? I don't have scripture memorized. I'm not going to know the address of everything and be able to quote it. How will I be able to defend such claims? See, this is why I can't go and tell people about Jesus. Again, we're looking for a way to stay comfortable. It's also why the growing in Christ and the loving everyone is so imperative to have within our hearts before we go to the world. Because if we lack either one of those things, we will not be able to go into the world, but we will be paralyzed out of fear and anxiety to do so. The love will drive us. The knowledge of grace and of Christ will drive us. So study the word. Get into a group. Study with a group. Schedule time with myself or one of the other pastors. That's what we're here for as pastors and as elders of this church. We're here to equip you for the ministry Jesus has called you to. And Jesus has called you to go and share the gospel. So come and learn. You see, if we've been... Christian for more than a couple of years and we still lack the words needed to be able to share the gospel We've been following Jesus for more than a couple years and still lack the words necessary to share the gospel with someone else. What have we been doing with our time? And is our heart really in love with Jesus? But pastor, I object. I've spent my whole life in ministry, serving the church, going and doing what I've been called, and now I am just far too old to do what I used to. Folks, we don't get to retire from ministry. We don't get to retire from our life's purpose. 
telling others about Jesus does not require great physical capabilities. It only requires faith in Christ. John Piper, in the year 2000 at Passion Conference in Atlanta, he preached an all-time great sermon. Uh, impact, I, I was a, a junior in high school and impacted my generation and the college kids right in front of me. And in this sermon, as he's preaching to all of us crazy kids, John Piper reads an article from Reader's Digest. And he reads and he tells this story of a couple in their 50s who were able to retire early and move to Florida. And this article is talking about this new life they have in Florida and retirement, how great it is that it's sun shining all the time and they get to enjoy long walks on the beach. And they now have this wonderful seashell collection. And then he tells the story of two women in his church, one in their 70s, one in their 80s, who had just passed away. And people in his church thought it was a tragedy, for they had passed away while they went on mission in Africa, and they died in a car accident. But he's quick to point out that that isn't a tragedy. It's not a tragedy to go and lose your life while on mission for Jesus. But the real tragedy, rather, is the couple who retired from everything to collect seashells. For those women, he points out, made sure that every moment of their life counted for the kingdom of God. And the couple in Florida simply gets to turn to God and say, but look at our shell collection. See, our calling is to witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to share the gospel directly. That's how we make our life count. That's our purpose. Does it mean we all need to go overseas? No, it doesn't. Because I want you to listen again exactly to what Jesus said. He says, but you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What Jesus says here is your mission begins in your house, in your neighborhood, in your town, in your region, in your country, and in your world, and to the end of the world. So don't go overseas and avoid your family and friends. Go where God has planted you. Share the gospel. No excuses. No exceptions. Make this life count. Celebrate the gospel. And go into the world. Amen. Amen. Amen.